Uh, but it's, it's really good to have an opportunity to, to uh, share the word with you again. Uh, our scripture reading uh, this evening is from Luke chapter 11, the first 13 verses. Uh, Luke 11, now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, as we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation." And he said to them, which of you has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impotence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? These verses, this instruction about prayer, comes as part of a shift in Luke's story. Luke promised to the guy he's writing for that he would write an orderly account. And so in, uh, in Luke chapter 9 is, is Luke's rendi- uh, story about Peter's testimony, you are the, his, his, uh, his confession, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah. And, and, and Jesus follows that up by saying, so this is how this is going to roll out. I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed, I'm going to be crucified and on the third day, rise again. And so there's a shift at that point, it seems to me, that that Jesus starts, and Luke records that, that the disciples are now on a different trajectory. That it's it's gone from, oh, Jesus is cool and all things are funny, to, oh, we're moving now in a different direction, and the time is coming that you're going to be standing in very different places. You're not just going to be disciples, you're going to be apostles. And so there's all these instructions about anyone who would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And in chapter 10, he sends out the 72 and he says, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. And he gives them all these instructions, don't take anything with you. So there's a shift in, in what's happening, and the disciples are being prepared for what's to come to them. And part of that preparation is this instruction on prayer. So the first thing I want to point out, because even as I looked at the lectionary and then read 
uh, Luke chapter 11, I sort of chuckled and thought, oh, I can't preach on prayer. That's just silly. Because we want to think, if we have any history in the Christian faith, prayer should somehow by this point sort of be innate. I should have figured it out. And, but it strikes me, first off, the disciples saying, the Lord, teach us to pray. We, prayer is something that is learned. And so I think in my own experience, whenever we start to talk about prayer, my first response is shame, frustration, guilt. And so I, I want to just invite you to say, why don't we set that aside? I suspect that's just a tactic by the enemy to, get, to keep you away from prayer. Um, and that we might have permission this evening, and at this, starting from this point, to learn about prayer. That God would lead us, that Jesus would lead us <coughs> into a deeper communion and conversation with Him. It was very helpful for me a while, a while ago to read somebody's instructions about prayer to say, picture uh, a child on a, on a parent's lap. So I think about Owen, who I'll see uh, next week. He's 18 months old. Um, he's going to come sit on my lap. I actually don't care what he's going to do there. I don't care if he brings a toy, if he sucks his thumb. I'm not even that concerned if he's going to cry. I'm just glad that he's there. And so could that also be the Father's uh, invitation to you that regardless of where you are, whatever you think about where you should be or would like to be in your prayer life, just be with Him. Be in His presence and allow Him to teach you. There are two sections in, in our passage. The first section is, is the, the response to teach us to pray and the, the, the giving of the Lord's Prayer. And then there's the section on asking, seeking, and knocking. Luke has put them together. Sort of it appears in response to the question, teach us to pray. Matthew keeps them separate. They're in the Sermon on the Mount together in Matthew 6 and 7, but they're in two different places. And so I'm going to take the liberty of just talking about the second part, about this part that Jesus says uh, where he starts in verse 5, and he said to them, which of you has a friend? And, and, and ask and seek and knock. And I want to think about those instructions as our posture in prayer. So we understand in human conversation that our posture in that conversation makes a difference. If you've, you've probably in somewhere, some class about communication or listening or caring for people, you've learned about listening skills and that your posture says as much about how that conversation is going to go as your words. And so we're encouraged to have an open stance, aren't we, rather than closed. That this conversation is different than this conversation. That, that, that we want to be engaged. We're, we're encouraged to sit forward in the chair, not lean back, but sit forward. But not, we're, not, we're encouraged not to be aggressive. It's not, so tell me about your life. Right? There's, there's a sense that we could be relaxed. We could sit back in the chair. It would probably be best to put the phone aside. 
to, to not yawn and be bored, to stay engaged but still be relaxed, and that there would be some uh, sort of a reasonable pace to that conversation. So when Chad invited me uh, to have a beer with him this afternoon, and he started by saying, so how's it going? If he continues then and says, oh, by the way, I've got 10 minutes, it's going to shape the conversation, isn't it? Rather, we had an hour and a half, and we could, we could both share with one another what, what's been going on in our lives. It's about our posture. and not, It's not about what we said. It's about our posture. And I think what Jesus isn't giving is, I want to suggest to you that Jesus is suggesting a certain posture in prayer. And I think the first thing is these two examples. And we're familiar with these examples. This story of the, of the guy who has unexpected visitors and he goes next door and asks for bread and the guy says, I'm not giving you anything. I'm in bed. Leave me alone. And the second one are these examples of, you know, earthly fathers, if you ask for this, they're not going to trick you and give you something else. And the first example, the, the unexpected visitor, is often talked about as demonstrate Jesus teaching us that we should be persistent in prayer. But I want to suggest to you that Jesus' first instruction is don't adopt a human posture in your prayer. Don't follow human examples. Both the examples are, are painted in a negative light. Jesus is saying, so this is, you know, this is how this works, but that's not how it works with God. A, a human posture is not good. I spent 20 years working with the provincial government in middle management. And I spent a great deal of my time doing what I called managing up, being strategic about when I asked for things, being careful what, what I told my manager about what was happening in my office, because certain things brought certain results and other things brought different results. So I managed what went up the line. Not helpful. It's a human model. Jesus is saying, no, not, don't adopt a human posture. The communication with, between my children and the Father is different. So in the first example, the word that is translated in, in, in the passage I read is impudence, is often translated persistence. That word is only used once here in, in, by Luke. And so we don't have any other biblical examples of how that word was, what was the meaning behind it. But in every other secular example, it means impudence or uh, uh, shamelessness. The guy who shows up at his neighbor at midnight asking for bread is like your four-year-old in the cereal aisle demanding Fruit Loops. He is that, there, he's totally shameless. He's raising a ruckus. He's, he's, he's doing, he'll do whatever it takes to get that guy out of bed and give him some food so he can take it back to his friend who's arrived late. I think Jesus is saying, no, you don't need, it's not, it's not like that. You don't have to be strategic and go to, think back to uh, the story that precedes the one that Chad talked about, Elijah praying for rain, that's Mount Carmel, right? Remember the prophets of, of Baal yelling and screaming and cutting themselves. That's not necessary in our communication with God. Jesus is saying, the friend won't come out because he loves you. He'll come out because you're a pain in the butt. 
He's saying that's not, that's not part of communication with God. God's primary stance with you is one of love. You don't have to play games to get God to listen to you. And secondly, he says, don't you already understand on an earthly human level that fathers give good gifts to their kids? They're not trying to trick them, fool them, harm them. And so he says, if that's, the na- if that's true on that level, think how much more generous and how much more freeing is the love of God and His willingness to respond to your asking. Secondly, our posture is one of need, dependence, and expectation. First of all, need. Our posture is one of need. The fact that we, we are the children in these stories. The assumption is we pray because we need stuff. We, we don't need stuff because we've planned poorly or we're deficient or we're weak or we've failed in some way. No, that's actually how the system is set up. The expectation is that we will be in lack and God will provide. That's, that's where it starts from. So we don't come to prayer saying, well, I'll try it my own way, and if that doesn't work, then I'll ask. We don't come to God and say, well, here's all the reasons why I wasn't able to figure this out on my own. Will you help me out this time, and I'll be better next time? The assumption is we are dependent on God. And I am in this place of stopping and trying to recover from burnout, realizing how remarkably fragile and needy and weak I am. And that we, you must, we must understand and, and get that in our minds because everything in our society says the opposite. Everything in our society says be self-sufficient, plan ahead, figure it out, get your stuff together. And when you don't, you have to... How many times have you said, well, I'll pray about it, but first I'm going to try to... We, we pre-clean before the cleaner gets there. So we're, God fully expects that we should always be asking. He's never surprised that we need something. That's how he designed it. But because we're dependent, because it's a father-child relationship, that's the model, it also, dependence rules out demand. And I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of that in our society, that there's an increase of this sort of attitude that says, well, I'm owed some stuff, and you've got stuff, so you should be giving it to me. And this, it's, it's kind of weird thinking. But there's no place in this we can ask, but we cannot demand. And you know that difference in your heart. You know when there is a, I have a right, you owe me kind of attitude. There's no place for that in our prayer and our posture with God. So we are in need. We're, we're dependent and so not demanding. But the expectation should be that we will receive. There is at least twice as many words talking about the result of our asking I would say that there's, Jesus is spending far more time saying, so when you ask, this is what I'm going to do, then you should be asking, right? I mean, just, just look it over. He, he, 
He keeps saying, so if you ask, then you will be given. Then you will receive. You will seek. You will find. He repeats that. The emphasis is on the result of asking is that God will respond. Which, of course, leads us to the question, if we actually thought, if we actually believed that we were going to receive, if we were actually confident in that, what would you ask for? What do you really want? I asked Jeff to do a little Spice Girls for us at this point, but he refused. So, Jesus says, ask, seek, and knock. So, in some ways, we could look at that and say, that's the, uh, Jesus' way, or you know, the Bible does lots of that, of saying the same idea in different words. But I just want to give you some thoughts or reflections of my own on what is asking and seeking and knocking look like. Because when we say, when we ask for something, asking is, is not about simply assessing what we need, is it? It's about what are our desires? What, what, what is it that we want? So back in I don't know, 2005 or somewhere there, I went on a trip with a friend to Germany and we rented a BMW and drove on the Autobahn. And ever since then, I've said, I want a BMW. Because we don't, we don't discern our own desires very well. We just sort of pick a really tangible, concrete way of saying, that's it. I know the feeling I had in the BMW in Germany on the Autobahn. That's what I want. The BMW is going to get it for me. And the friend who I went to Germany with, I reconnected now in Lethbridge, five BMWs in his garage. It's a little awkward. Because it's not really the BMW, is it? That's not really my desire. The BMW speaks to a desire. It, it, it means I'm wealthy or cool or whatever. Because I don't really need an expensive car that I can't afford to fix. It's something of my desire. And I think what I'm noticing about is that it takes a lot of asking for me to get in touch with what's my desire. I have to say, so when I first say I want a BMW, I have to say, so what's behind that? What's behind that statement? Because if I say, if I, my only thing I ask for from God is the BMW, then there's only one answer. It's a BMW, isn't it? The, the Honda Civic I'm driving now is not going to do it. But if I could tap in to what's behind the BMW and what I want is adventure or security or prestige or what, whatever that desire is, well, now there's, there's a multitude ways of God to answer that. And I might discern that perhaps that particular car does not really meet the desire. It takes some working in my heart. And I think God is saying, God's invitation to us is keep asking until you figure out what you really want. It's not so simple. We've stopped pastoring and, uh, for a time, and, but there's still some things in us, and people often say, so what do you want to do now? I have not a clue. 
It's going to take some asking and some discernment. I'm going to have to, to look at my desires and allow God to cleanse the ones that are, have been twisted and, and aren't really helpful. But, but at, some, at some point, God, I, I believe more and more that part of what God gives us, He's put into us in advance in the shape of our desires. And He's waiting for us to ask for those things. And that process keeps me humble and open, keeps me away from demand, because I have to work through what's in my heart. Seeking, Jesus says, seek and you will find. And for me, seeking puts me, the word seek puts me in mind of seek ye first the kingdom of God. I think seeking for me is about engaging with the ongoing mystery of the gospel. I've been a Christian all my life. And for the vast majority of that, I looked at the gospel and said, well, that's really simple, God. Thank you very much. On we go. I'm, I'm astounded at my arrogance to say, yeah, I, I sort of got that Jesus stuff. The cross, sure, cool. Never took the time to seek and, 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 and start to move in the mystery that is the gospel. To, to plumb the depths of it. And I think prayer is our way, is our place of seeking after Jesus, of after God, and, 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 and allowing in us this hunger to grow for more, a, a deeper understanding, not to know more this way, but more this way. And it, it keeps me in touch with the transcendence of the giver, instead of the, what's he going to give me? And if I have a transcendent giver, stands to reason in my mind that how he answers my particular request might not look how I imagined. And as I start to understand the vastness of the giver, I might, I might be more able to notice when he gives me what I asked for, even though it doesn't take the shape I thought it would. I never thought, I never asked. In fact, I said repeatedly to people, I'm not moving back to Lethbridge. It is a gift from a giver that I don't understand. I'm not even particularly enthused about it. Turns out I like the island better. But I said to God repeatedly over the last three years, I don't think I can do this anymore. And I kept tinkering and fiddling. And, and then in the end, God says, I'm going to take it off the table. Not the answer I want, but it tells me something about the giver who gave it. And then he says, knock, and it will be opened to you. The word opened means to unseal. So you have a letter, it's sealed with the wax seal. To open it means to open that seal. The tomb had the stone rolled in front, and then it was sealed. Sealing, the seal speaks of the authority of the one who closed the door, or opened it as it turned out. Knocking is knocking at a door. It's about what's next, what's on the other side of the door, what's the new season. Knocking is your faith, your hope in action. 
So we're in a season of knocking. God, has, God was very clear when he told me you have to stop. He said nothing since. And, and even the things I would imagine I might like, I cannot, I cannot see any way to get there. I have to knock. The door, it's, it's still sealed. But I'm noticing that I'm okay with that. Like the, the, um, the blessing is not in the opening. I mean, that's part of it. But there is, um, there is also blessing in, in the waiting and in the knocking. So I... I just suggest that to you, that you would take these three postures of asking and seeking and knocking and bring them into your prayer life. What, what, are, the, what are the deep desires of your heart, the things that you've asked for, what's behind that? What is it that, that God had put in you to this deep desire that you cannot let go of? And, and ask him about that. Seek him the beauty and the mystery of the kingdom and, and understand how beautifully God wants to give and all the, the unexpected ways that he would do that and keep knocking. What, what's closed? What's the door that's closed for you and you're sort of saying, so I've, I think there's lots a sense for lots of us that post-pandemic it's sort of like, okay, so what? What are we moving into? That's what you're saying as a church. What's going to happen? What, is the, what does moving to the barns and, and the fall look like for us as a congregation? What are you knocking at there? What, what are your hopes for this church that, that God wants you to express to him and hear from him on? table is, is in many ways a prayer. All of what we'll do over the next moments is a prayer. We're going to make this journey, and you will come forward, and I suggest to you that you come forward to knock and to seek and to ask. Maybe not all three, maybe just one. But you would just, just start that process of speaking to your heavenly Father who wants to give you I don't know what to do with the last sentence. Matthew's version said a good father gives good gifts. Luke says the Father, the heavenly Father will give the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So is that if you ask for the Holy Spirit you'll get it? Or is it simply that God will give you himself as you ask. Chad's going to come and lead us to the table.